0: Good morning, this is Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Some people see graffiti as vandalism, a crime, a sign of urban decay. Others see it as art, self-expression, and a testament of neighborhood pride. On this week's Fordham Conversations, we examine the evolution and impact of graffiti art. But first we find out more about graffiti and the law.
1: My name is Layla Amina DeLay, and I'm with counsel at the law firm of Lombard & Gleiter, where I specialize in art and intellectual property law.
0: Are graffiti artists protected by the law?
1: It really depends on how the artist made the work, whether the artist received permission from a landowner or a property owner to actually produce his art on that property, or whether it was done illegally without any permission.
0: So when is graffiti deemed criminal, and when is it actually considered art?
1: Well, New York law has... A specific section that deals with graffiti law, a penal law that states that no person shall make graffiti of any type on any building, public or private, or any other property, real or personal, owned by any person, uh, without the express permission from an owner. So if an artist doesn't get permission from an owner, then that artist could be considered a criminal.
0: Explain to me how someone like Banksy can become an artist even if it's illegal
1: such an interesting issue with banksy because the art community respects his work and his work has been valued um, in some cases in the millions of dollars so he's a recognized artist but the flip side of that is because he does create his work without getting permission he's not protected by the law he's not protected by property laws or intellectual property laws. so he actually doesn't have a lot of rights to the works that he creates, even though they are very valuable.
0: So they are valuable, but he still could get arrested if he is caught.
1: Yes, he could be arrested if he's caught. Uh, I think it's unlikely because most landowners, most property owners, would value what he puts onto their walls. So I don't think it's in anyone's interest to arrest him. However, technically, he could be.
0: So, Layla, graffiti artists often say, you know, what they do is a matter of free speech. So what does the law say about graffiti and free speech?
1: Well, you can state whatever you'd like uh, on your own property, but U.S. law really values this concept of private property and private property ownership. No one can come to your property and destroy it, mutilate it, alter it, try to take rights to that property. So you're free to, you know, say whatever you'd like on your own canvas. No one will stop you from you know having political expression on your own property. If I had my own building and I wanted to spray paint it, I would be able to do so. However you, you don't have the right to use political speech or free speech on someone else's land.
0: Layla, if graffiti art can be lucrative for some people involved, legally, is there a difference between graffiti art and something like tagging, where somebody would just kind of spray paint their name or spray paint a symbol or even spray paint over somebody else's work?
1: It would really depend on the art market and what the market values. I would think that an actual stenciling, an actual mural would have more value than just a tag. Although it's interesting, I was reading an article about Banksy going to Central Park, um, having an older man set up this table where they were selling small works by Banksy. And the fact that people didn't realize they were Banksy meant that people just weren't buying them. So I think... Some art collectors are a bit fickle where they want to purchase things that are connected with a famous artist's name. They're purchasing things for the name and not for the actual art itself. And I think it could work the other way as well, where people would value having the signature of Banksy on something that wasn't even done by him, and just having his tag would be valuable. So I'm not really sure exactly what the market would do. However... I think I have a hunch that works like complete murals and actual paintings and stencils are more valuable than tags. So to add
0: on to that, since technically, legally, what Banksy is doing is illegal because he's spray painting or he's creating this art on buildings that he doesn't have the authority to do that, If someone is using his name to claim that they are him and just to sell whatever it is they can, would he legally have a right to sue the person, the graffiti artist who is pretending to be him?
1: Probably not. In fact, in the U.S., artists are protected their rights to integrity and attribution to their work, Uh, attribution just basically being the right to say, I created this work or I did not create this work, that is protected by VARA, which is the Visual Artists Rights Act. And that gives artists the right to say, I did this and I did not do this. However, VARA only applies to art that was done legally. And because Banksy's art generally isn't done with permission, then he probably would not be protected under VARA. There are not any cases where illegal art has been protected by that act.
0: So, Layla, help me understand this. If you have someone who is a graffiti artist and they are displaying their works illegally, meaning, you know, spray painting on someone's property, it can still be art and criminal?
1: I think so. Where art is really whatever the market says it is. If the art world recognizes something as art, then... It's art. I think historically things that have been viewed as inappropriate, as criminal in some way, have been viewed as art. For example, the 16th century Italian painter Caravaggio, he was a criminal. He had murdered people. However, he is one of the most famous Italian artists from the 16th century. It kind of goes to that concept, can you be a criminal and also an artist? And in this case, Banksy is doing criminal things. Um, he is painting something without authority. However, I don't know if I would even say he's a criminal because um, no one has charged him with anything. No one has gone after him. Uh, none of these property owners have sued him or filed anything against him. I would say right now he's not criminal, but if someone wanted to file something against him and he was caught, I think he, he could be prosecuted uh, for property destruction.
0: So, Layla, why aren't some artists protected?
1: It goes back to this doctrine in the law called the doctrine of unclean hands. And basically, the law just says you can't profit from illegality. If you do something illegal, you cannot profit and benefit from that action. If you didn't get permission, then you're not protected by the law. Okay. You know, you're not covered by VARA.
0: Thank you very much, Layla. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. We'll continue the conversation about graffiti art with David Story, an artist, Fordham University professor, and visual arts program co-director at Rose Hill. We'll also be hearing from Patrick Verrill, urban studies master student who authored a research paper called New York City Graffiti Murals, Signs of Hope, Marks of Distinction. In it, he examines how graffiti can be something that's useful. Good morning. Good morning. If you had to describe or explain what graffiti is to someone who never experienced it, never saw it, how would you do that?
2: It's basically a marking on a surface that's unauthorized. And it could be uh, spray paint, it could be markers, uh, it could be anything uh, from a calligraphy that looks like words, it could be pictures. Um, My understanding is that some people have said that in World War II, people who were scrawling little pictures of little men that said
3: Kilroy was here, that that
2: would qualify as graffiti.
0: So let's talk about the history a little bit.
3: Well, uh, mentioning Kilroy was here a while ago, I was very fortunate and was able to go to Pompeii. Mm -hmm. And there are uh, scratched graffiti images in many of the walls of, of Pompeii, the illicit active graffiti. It's been with us, I think, for a long, long time.
2: Mm-hmm. Did
0: they actually call it graffiti? Yes. They did.
2: It's an Italian word for writing. And the key distinction that I always make is, again, that it's traditionally not something that you do with permission. That it's something that you do on something that's not yours. So, you know, if you're going to take a wall that you own and you decide you're going to paint on it, that's not going to be called graffiti. Do you, do you I, agree think, with I that? think
3: historically, yes, but I think that uh, there's been a huge you know, like movement away towards, in addition to the uh, the illicit side of graffiti, you know, the transgressive side, that, that it's been embraced by many, many people, and there are uh, lots of venues for graffiti, you know, sponsored graffiti, uh, graffiti for, for profit. Mm-hmm. People do it, to get paid for it, and graffiti that's actually shown and collected in galleries and museums, and sold at auction for extraordinary amounts of money. At this point,
0: so how do we so go from from Pompeii to New York City graffiti? Because it's it got really big, I guess, in the '70s, the '60s here in New York City. Is yeah, that correct?
2: Traditionally, there, there's two people that were uh, associated with the beginnings of graffiti, as as people know it in New York. One was. A guy named Taki138, and he was up in uh, a fella who used to live in Washington Heights, and that's literally what he wrote on subways. And I believe that was in the 60s. And then another fella who some argue actually came before him in Philadelphia named Cornbread, and he also did this sort of a similar thing where he just literally would just write his name everywhere. Why? Well, you'd have to ask now. Uh, (laughs) uh, The reasons why I think differ from writer to writer, actually. I think if you interviewed 10 different writers, you would get 10 different reasons for doing it.
0: So are there different types? You said there's murals, then there's graffiti. Are there different types of each?
2: Yeah, this is Patrick. Um, I basically broke things down to four uh, different types of graffiti. There's the tag. There is uh, what's called a throw up which is kind of a funny name, but it basically means you. you it's like a, a bigger tag with kind of filled in letters. And then you have variations on murals, which is you take these elements, the basic elements, and you create something much, much bigger, Also, and then also with pictures usually. Um, So that's the sort of thing I focused on the most because that's the kind of thing that really grabs people's attention. That's the kind of thing that takes the most time and effort and negotiation between building owners and artists.
3: Uh, This is David. I think one interesting uh, thing about the uh, the kind of mural that that you're talking about is that in the early days, uh, one of the things that I found really remarkable about graffiti and attracted me to it Was that it had to be fast because it was illegal and it was on the the maintenance yards for the subways. Mm -hmm. It was uh, on trains. You had to, the people who did it, had to do it fast. They had to do it with assurance because it's all about speed and perfection of execution. And they had to get it, get it up, get it done and get out of there.
0: Were you fascinated that they can do it so quickly or were you kind of drawn to the rebelliousness of it?
3: I've always avoided the issue of the illegality of those early days and just thought of it as being a a transgressive act, and in that act of transgression, there was a certain uh, energy and enthusiasm that was focused. If it's just illegal, you can have a whole variety of reasons for doing something that's illegal, But, but this was altruistic, transgressive action. And for, you know, really good objectives to, to make something visible, to make something in the world, to make a mark, which mm-hmm. is one of the, the reasons I think that graffiti, as we know it, came into existence, which was just to say, I am, you know, to mark things and to make your presence, make your, your being known.
0: So, David, and why do you think graffiti, is it fair to call them artists? Why not? What do you think?
2: Sure. Well, I think this gets to the, to, this is probably more your area of expertise. It's, it's a, like asking a question, is something art? When I think of that kind of question, I kind of think back to, I believe it was, um, there was a Supreme Court justice in in the 1960s, he talked about obscenity. I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, I don't really know what it is, but I know when I see it. I would say, for me, most of it is, but there is also a question of whether it's good art or bad art. And something can be art and still be bad art.
3: But in the art world it's exactly the same. Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things that I found I, I moved to New York from California in nineteen eighty. So I arrived right in the middle of, you know, this wonderful visual um New American art atmosphere. form. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was No graffiti totally, in California? At that point, no. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wanted to, if I could just jump in.
2: I just you made me think of something when you talked about that speed and the, and the illegality and how that's such yeah. an interesting aspect of it. And I agree with you, by the way. Yeah. I'm a total fan of something that can be done really well uh, under cover of dark, yeah. especially in the right, right setting. Uh, right. One of the things that I, I found myself focusing a lot on was the proper setting for these things. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, it doesn't make sense, and I'm not going to be a fan of something if it's done, say, it's somebody's tag you know on the front door of a pizza place you know some place where somebody's obviously trying to make a living and that's going to interfere with them on the mm-hmm. other hand if it's done in some place that's out of the way it's industrial area right. say for instance or it's high visibility i'm all in favor of that sort of thing and a lot of the people most of the people that i talk to the artists that mm-hmm. do these murals a lot of them used to do that
3: of course
2: oh and, yeah and they've yeah, stopped yeah. Because it's not worth the risk anymore now we no. need a and definition
0: they're getting older and they're getting older exactly <laughs> and they can't run as fast. right
2: right it's not worth it's not worth it that to them to get caught spray painting a subway right. car when they got two kids at home
3: no, I, I just read an article about one of the old old school taggers who uh has a business now and uh, gets gets tagged mm-hmm. and goes out with the bucket the solvents, the cleaners to get it off. And he was just saying, I guess this is payback.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon discussing the evolution and impact of graffiti art with Fordham's David Story and Patrick Farrell.
3: One of the things about, about graffiti also that I find really fascinating is that this group of people for whatever reason and, and they came from a lot of different a lot of different backgrounds and and, and this graffiti really spread worldwide. We're talking now about New York at a certain period in time but graffiti is global. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing that I found really remarkable about graffiti is that people named themselves artists. They They did it. They just started doing it. They didn't go to school. They didn't study it. It was grassroots. It, it was just what you, you just started doing it, and they were for the most part totally self educated i mean I don't think very many of the old timers went to to art school of any kind uh actually created i think uh I'm going to use this old very old fashioned art historical term, but they created an ism what know, does like, that mean like cubism or surrealism mm. you know they created a movement in twentieth century art all by themselves that has endured. Uh, Forty years or more, which is really remarkable in, the tw- in terms of 20th-century art history. I mean, the only one that matches it, I think, is Cubism. Its influence lasted just about that long, and its active practice af- acted just about that length of time. But graffiti is going on now uh, just as vigorously and just as uh, within its its own defined sort of uh, boundaries, aesthetic boundaries, as it, as it did in, in you know, the old days.
2: This is Patrick. That that's uh, that's an interesting point. I, I uh, one of the people that I talked to for this thesis was a fellow by the name of Nicer. That's his tag. Uh, he's part of the Tats crew. He mentioned this as being sort of on par with Cubism and, and mm-hmm. different. Like he he literally brought it back to that and said, you know, these are the, these are the Goyas and these are the Picassos of our day. You know. <laughs> And, and, and I want to bring it to the streets of, of the South Bronx, where these kids don't have this sort of thing.
0: And you said he was um, a, a graffiti artist back in the day, is that he correct? He was
2: and still is, yeah. And in fact, Nicer and the Tats crew are, are a perfect example of a group of guys who've turned this into a business. The Tats oh. crew is an actual bona fide business. They do, you know, things for, for hire.
0: Like uh, murals or graffiti you art, name for it. Hire. they'll do
2: murals. They'll do uh, they do uh, marketing campaigns, trucks. That, they'll
3: so, do you name it. They'll do it.
0: When they were younger, did they see it as I'm creating this art form?
3: The art world called them artists, and then they were. I think they sort of said, "Well, hey, these are the experts. They should know." Right.
0: And we touched on this just a little bit about the criminal aspect of graffiti. Why is graffiti or some graffiti seen as vandalism or criminal or criminal act? I've just looked this up as a matter of fact on the New York Police Department's website where they outline all the things that could happen (laughs) if you're caught with a spray can or Mm -hmm. if you're caught, you could literally get a $500 fine if a police officer feels that you are going to use a marker in a quote unquote negative way. And and why such harsh penalties for, you know, marking on somebody's wall?
2: Well, it's seen as part of the broken windows theory. Which is which is a sociological theory that says that if you allow for, say, one broken window in a neighborhood to not be fixed for over a period of time, then that serves as a releaser cue for people in the neighborhood that this is an area that's basically you know the law is 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 nowhere to be found, and so if you can break a window, you can go and graffiti something. You can, I guess, the theory leads to then, I guess, mugging or what have you. You know, mayhem, robbery, A life anything. of crime. Yeah, where the thing where things get sort of screwy, to use a technical term, <laughs> is that it's sometimes can be vandalism. So you know, I talk about that example I gave before where. You have somebody who just spray paints random spray paint on somebody's door of a pizzeria Mm -hmm. reasonable people will say that's vandalism and that shouldn't be encouraged and so there's sort of a gray line i think Mm -hmm. between doing that and then doing something that takes more time and more effort and then it gets back into that question of like i said that is it obscenity is it vandalism i don't know you know different people see different things
0: it's sort of in the eye of the beholder,
2: sorta. Of? Sort of, but in the eyes of the law, it doesn't matter. Right. In the eyes of the law, it's all vandalism. It's very clear. It doesn't yeah. matter. It's 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 there is no gray. It's black and white.
0: So is that you would say sort of fair because there is this area of gray between what is vandalism and what is art? Then does it stand a reason why the NYPD might have such a, in my opinion, a hard line?
2: My issue is not necessarily with whether or not it's fair for them to prosecute this sort of thing or determine the penalty for for what it should be. My personal view is that it's gone a little overboard. Um, And some of that is because graffiti was rampant at, at a time when the city was chaos, right? Everybody talks about the bad old days. And there sort of is this worry that if you allow these things to come back, if you go soft on graffiti, and you let everybody run haywire, and you you know you only give them a slap on the wrist that somehow will be transported back in time to the you know the early 80s and the 70s when the city was bankrupt and crime was rampant, and you know the subways didn't work, and so there's a very close connection
3: in the official mm-hmm. point of view, I think. Well, also at the time that graffiti took hold and got traction, uh, there was a political dimension to it. Also, it was about Access to expression and visibility of expression. Because what voice did some people in some of these neighborhoods in Washington Heights? What what voice did they have? Mm-hmm. You know, to say something, be visible, right? Yeah. We have we have something to say. We can do things. And unfortunately, it got so popular, and so many people started doing it. It just went all over the place. Well, it got commodified too. A way it got really commodified. Right.
0: Has graffiti culture changed in the last 40 years, 40-plus years? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, (laughs)
3: way. Totally different. Yeah. The whole issue of of vandalism and and the criminality of it is sort of historic in a a sense at this point because there's not a lot of that that happens. It's definitely been
2: commodified. Um, You can make a business out of it. Hats Crew, uh, as I mentioned before, and other other, uh, uh, writers, too, have been hired by the likes of Coca-Cola. Uh, and major corporations to do marketing campaigns. It's, 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 it's entered into an interesting phase in that it's been co-opted, but at the same time, it's also harder than ever to just go out and kind of do it. Why? Well, because of the penalties.
0: Uh-huh. You know,
2: if you think you can go out and do it, you can't just go out and do it. Or if you do, um, you better be ready to pay a very stiff fine and be thrown in jail if you get caught.
0: Or, you know. Get those running shoes on. Yeah, <laughs> to take yeah, on.
2: and seasoned writers will tell you that it's not the same as doing it in a studio. For instance, um, you know, some people will say, "Well, you know, if you have a talent, why don't you just take a class and then go paint in a studio like a normal person?" And I think seasoned writers will tell you that, there, that there's something inherently attractive about being on the street. Yes, it's yeah. not a negotiable aspect of it.
3: From the very beginning, it was a very public art. Oh, and yeah. And it still is. It's, yeah. it's meant to be out there. It doesn't exist in the studio. You right. You can't, right? You don't have the same energy. You don't have the same vitality or urgency or relevance mm-hmm. that, that graffiti has.
2: As long as we're talking about things that have changed and things that are current, I think it'd be remiss not to mention the role that the internet has played in all this. We haven't really talked much about, quote unquote, street art. Um, But, I mean, we're in the middle of a month where Banksy, who's the most most famous street artist there is, is currently embarking upon a campaign of of going all over New York City and putting up artwork without permission. And he's doing it in a way. uh, He has an Instagram account, and that's primarily how he's identifying to people where his works are. Hmm. Uh, And people are going out and finding them that way. And, And the Internet has played such an interesting role in the whole change, too, because things are not permanent. Right, We're talking about things on the street. Mm -hmm. Things disappear, and in Banksy's case, they're disappearing overnight, Right, because everybody shows up and then it randomly gets destroyed and tagged and what have you. But people are getting pictures of it, and they're sharing it that way around the world.
0: Is it bringing them together in a way they might not have been together? Or has it always been sort of a graffiti culture and they find each other?
2: I guess you could say that it's brought people together uh, in the sense that you can get a sense of what's happening in other places uh, whereas you might not have been able to. Uh, at the same time, you know, you used to hear things about a New York style of graffiti uh, or, or a Philadelphia style of graffiti, but, you know, different styles for different uh, places where, where it was done. And now that was obviously a facet of if you only saw things from your town, you, you sort of work with what you know, Right. And now it's not hard to see what's going on in Osaka or what's happening in uh, Denmark. You know, all around the world, you can see what kinds of things
3: people are doing. You know, I think I have a little note here written to myself. One of the few things I wrote down, which is graffiti educates itself. You know, and I think long term, that's oh, what's yeah. happened. Graffiti hasn't taken uh, its, its education from art history, really. It, it, it's educated itself and so graffiti artists, even if they don't call themselves artists, look at what other graffiti artists are doing and work from that. Get their inspiration from that, their ideas of innovation and new directions and- and, um, Maybe
0: challenge themselves to get better?
3: Oh, absolutely. You look at, you you do a pictorial timeline, you know, from beginning to end, and what's happening now uh, is so stunningly uh, spectacular in terms of, of technical expertise, mm-hmm.
2: right? That's so true. I mean, I think about another one of the writers that I talked to, actually one of the f- first ones that I talked to who worked in Brooklyn and Bushwick, uh, a fellow by the name of Vang, his real name is Herb, he lives in Staten Island, and he uh, did a lot of work as part of a collective called Robots Will Kill. His work, when I first met him, was very much of what you would typically think of as that traditional calligraphy style, you know, he has a tag. But then he'd also started to do some figures when I'd met him. And now, this is now three years or so since we first talked, he's doing things that I see him doing pictures of where it's it's canvas-based work. Of yeah. He has a thing for birds. So he's doing traditional canvas-based. They're very realistic. It's not some abstract uh, thing. And so the lines definitely uh, blur in, in terms of technical ability and, and willingness to do uh, different Uh, forms I think of art. And that's why I think a lot of people, too, when you talk to them, they won't say, oh, I'm a graffiti artist. They'll just say I'm an artist.
0: So, Patrick, with your research, what was your plan of action?
2: Ultimately, what I would like to see is I would love for the city of New York to support murals more. If you're a building owner and you see graffiti on your building that you consider to be vandalism, you can call 311 and they will send somebody there to erase it for free. In fact, if somebody else complains that you have graffiti on your building and you don't respond to the city, they'll still show up and clean it without your permission. So there's this vast apparatus that's geared towards eradicating this stuff. But there's nothing that officially sanctions the kinds of murals that are done by graffiti artists with the permission of building owners. And that's what I would love to see happen because it's well known that murals help um, rejuvenate neighborhoods. And building owners basically get a free advertisement for their building and they get something that helps deter vandalism, which I think is something I can get behind also.
0: So, David, how about you? Um, where do you see the future of graffiti going? Well, I hope I'm surprised by the future of graffiti.
3: I think one of the things that's really terrific about all these, all these styles and, and this art that's now pretty well established appeal to a lot of people I think it's these categories of public art are appealing to more and more people, with the public and also with the uh, with the organs of, of state approval, you mm-hmm. know, like cities and municipalities and property owners, and also in terms of uh, the art establishment.
2: Right. Can I can I say one more thing? Sure. Yeah. Oh, just thinking, you, you made me think of somebody else I talked to, one of the artists, Love One from a collective called Sa- the Sage Collective, based down in Trenton. Uh, I interviewed them in in Jersey City, and he said something that's always stuck with me. He said... He he was a little spacey. He was a little bit deep, you know. But he said, you know, everywhere I look, I see all these corporate fingerprints all over the city. He's like, I want to see... He said, I want to see more human fingerprints. That's what I like to see. And that's something that I think I can get behind when I see especially really well-done stuff. You know, that's it's like human fingerprints. And, And that's part of what makes... Uh, urban living so
0: exhilarating for me. I'd like to thank my guests, David Story, Patrick Verrill, and Layla Delay. I'd also like to thank my producer, Alan Canlick. You can hear Fordham Conversations every Saturday at 7 a.m. You can also friend us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and catch up on past shows with our weekly podcast. Stay with us, George Bodarki and Cityscaper, next on WFUV. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.